This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. Hi, my name is Dr. Lou Diaz, pastor of Butte Bible Fellowship located at 2255 Pillsbury Road in Chico. And I'm providing inspirational teaching for you from God's Word each week. Listen to my weekly radio program, Encouraging Words with Dr. Lou Diaz, at 10 a.m. on Saturday or 10 a.m. on Sunday. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. As John 4 was read, the action of the dialogue between Jesus and the woman at the well. I highly recommend that you go online and put down uh, the Gospel of John video and watch the Gospel of John read and acted out according to the writing of the Scriptures accurately. There's a wonderful series there that I highly recommend to you. But I wanted to give you a snippet of it because when Jesus holds out his hands and says, I am he, and her jaw drops, I got emotional. I got emotional. Because that's my Jesus. He's real. He's alive. And he does satisfy our thirsts. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the modern technology uh, that has come out to even be able to allow us to envision what may have occurred um, when you came to earth. And Lord, we praise you and worship you as Messiah, as Lord and King, and thank you that you satisfy our thirst. We come to you and say, fill our cup, Lord. We lift it up in Jesus' name. Amen. Today's message is entitled, An Honest Conversation About Spirituality with Jesus. Now, why I come up with titles like this is hopefully to draw somebody who's looking at the newspaper, who's thinking about spirituality, to come and hear what Jesus has to say. And if you're here because of that, welcome. We're delighted that you're here. A conversation about spiritual things according to what we're going to see, begins with connecting with people. It continues with a remarkable statement. It convicts when it reveals personal issues. It detours when the topic is changed. And it climaxes when the real Jesus is seen. Let's look at this. Uh, first of all, a spiritual conversation begins with connecting with people. In John 4, 4-6, it says, Now he had to go through Samaria. The answer to that is, no, he did not. Jesus did not have to go to Samaria to get to uh, Galilee. He was moving from Judea to Galilee, and there were <clears throat> at least two or three routes by which you could get there. And a true Jew would avoid going through Samaria. Why? Because Samaria were the half-breeds. They were half-Jewish and half-Gentile, and they were despised, and there was a great hatred and rivalry between the Jews and the Samaritans. So many would cross over the Jordan, 
then go up north, then come back to Galilee, rather than go through Samaria to get to Galilee. So when it says here, now Jesus had to go through Samaria, it was a divine must. That means he had a divine assignment that he had to fulfill. He had to be at a particular place at a particular time to meet a particular person to share with them about the living water. Jesus had a divine assignment that he was going to fulfill. And that's why he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria named, uh, called Sychar, and near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. Now these details are very important. I was at Jacob's well. When I went to Israel in 2011, I was actually right there at the well, and it looked exactly like the one in the film, only they superimposed a building next to it and then the fields beyond it. It's out in the middle of nowhere and nothing's around it. But the fact that it still exists is a pretty remarkable and wonderful thing. I was standing on holy ground. I was thrilled to think Jesus was here. And the fact that it points out that Jesus was tired, um, John upholds the deity of Christ, that he is God, but also shows the humanity of Christ, that he is capable of being tired, and as we shall see, of being thirsty, because he'll ask for water. Jesus was fully human, and he was fully divine. And now it's important that we note it was noon, high noon, as you have heard in Westerns. And why is noon important? Because it's the heat of the day, the peak of the heat of the day in the Middle East was at noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How are you? Uh, how can you ask me <clears throat> for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And in the literal uh, Greek, it says they do not use dishes Samaritans have used. So um, Jesus connected, number one, by going to the bad side of town, if you will. He went across the tracks. If we're going to connect with people who don't know the Lord, we've got to go where they are. If we're only uh, involved in church and church-related activities, we're in a religious ghetto, but we're not having contact with people who need the Lord. The salt is staying in the salt shaker. And in order for it to be a preservative, it needs to get out there uh, where it can do a lot of good. So we need to have contact. We need to be intentional. We need to take the initiative. And notice how Jesus took the initiative to connect by asking about something they had in common. Will you give me a drink? She's come to get water, and he's thirsty. They have that in common. And building that bridge, he says, will you give me a drink? Now, what is the significance of her coming at noon to get water? She had such a terrible reputation 
that she had to avoid everybody. Everybody was gossiping about her life, and everybody was talking about her. And so for her, as a social outcast, to be able to get water, she had to come when nobody came to get water, and that would be at high noon when it was the hottest because no one would come out then. They'd come out in the morning or they'd come out in the cool of the evening, but no one would come at high noon. That's why she was there. And so Jesus is asked by her, how is it that you're talking to me? You are Jewish and I'm a Samaritan. We have such a rivalry between our peoples that uh, I can't even believe you're talking to me. And not only am I a Samaritan, but I'm a woman. And uh, rabbis and Jewish people don't talk to women. Uh, a rabbi is not to talk to his mother or daughter or sister in public back then. And uh, a prayer that a good Jew would pray is, thank God I'm not a Samaritan or a woman. Ouch, that sounds terrible now that we hear it in 21st century ears. But back then, that was the... Uh, machismo kind of culture that there was to have such hatred and such prejudice and such a feeling of superiority that someone would thank God they're not a Samaritan or a woman? That's terrible. I'm thankful for Christianity that actually has raised the value of women and has honored women. And so it's just the opposite now, thanks to Jesus. But then it was a, a, a terrible world. So you can see that Jesus connected with her by going to where she lives and by asking her this question. He broke um, the cultural barrier. He broke the economic barrier. He broke the gender barrier. And uh, he broke the social barrier. Jesus broke all these barriers in order to connect with this woman. There's no mistake why this story comes after Nicodemus, because Nicodemus is the complete opposite of this woman. He was Jewish, she was Samaritan. His name is given, Nicodemus, her name is never mentioned. He was upper middle class, she was poor. He was uh, upright and moral, and she was perhaps immoral and uh, had a very bad reputation. The point here is Jesus is a savior for all peoples. Whether you're well-to-do and uh, up and coming, or you're down and out, Jesus is the savior for all of us. We're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We need Jesus. And so a spiritual conversation begins with, by connecting with people, and it continues with a remarkable statement. Jesus says in John 4, 10 to 12, he answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? Now this really struck me. Last week I told you that when Jesus said straight out to Nicodemus, you must be born from above. Nicodemus was thinking physically in the natural realm, and he says, what? 
I'm an old man. How can I crawl into my mother's womb and be born again? And here he says to the woman, ask me and I'll give you living water. And she's like, where's your rope? And where's your container to draw something out of the well to get this living water? What's she doing? She's thinking in the physical realm rather than the spiritual realm. And she'll do this again later on. Jesus is very patient with her. He's leading her towards realizing her need, her thirst, and also pointing out what spiritual ramifications there are. Let's just answer this for a moment. What is the gift of God? The gift of God that Jesus is willing to give is his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come into a person's life and will be like a living water, like an artesian well, like a bubbling brook of refreshing water that constantly is running and flowing and is available within a believer. Now, he'll talk more about this in a moment. But the second question is, he says, if you knew who is asking you for a drink, he's going to reveal who he really is. He's going to reveal, I am the Messiah. I am the anointed one. So on those two counts, we are now more clear. When she asks him, are you greater than our father Jacob? He does not answer directly, but his indirect answer indicates, yes, I am. Because he says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. So yes, Jacob did provide this well. Many people uh, have drunk from it and been satisfied from it, but they're thirsty again. They go on to have need for the, the living water I provide. They will never thirst. And the emphasis is they will never, ever thirst. It's a double negative. No thirst ever. Now, how is that? It's this that when we, you receive Christ, the Holy Spirit comes into your life, and he's there as a fresh expression of the uh, love and the um, energy of God. He's always there. Now, what happens is, the reason we get to a thirsting is because we neglect him. And the prophet Jeremiah says in chapter 2, verse 13, my people have committed two sins against me. They have rejected me, the fount of living water, and they have, broken, they have uh, built broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Isn't that human nature? That instead of relying upon the Lord, who is the fount of living water, who could satisfy all of our needs, and he's the source and supplier of all that we truly, desperately need, we reject him and we drink out of buckets with holes in them. And every time we lift up the bucket to drink, guess what? The water's already dissipated out of the hole in the bucket. We have cheap substitutes trying to satisfy the thirst and the needs and the struggles of our lives rather than turning to him who is the fount of living water. That's our problem. If you only knew the struggle you have right now could be met 
and healed and blessed and um, uh, provided for by you turning to the Lord, the Spirit inside you, and saying, you're in there, refresh me. You're in there, fill me. You're in there, have your way in my life rather than me being in control. What a difference it would make. Now, it also points to um, salvation, that when you trust in Christ, he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. You will never thirst for water in hell because you will have Christ. It's a word of assurance. Wow, this message has a lot of encouragement because the woman responds positively on the level of understanding she has, which again is the physical, natural realm. What does she say to Jesus offering living water? He says, indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And she says, sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. She's thinking naturally. She's thinking physically, in the physical realm, when the Lord is speaking spiritually, if you'll trust in me, my spirit will come in you, and you'll have this constant flow of the life of God inside of you, and you'll have eternal life, which is quality of life and quantity of life, abundant life and eternal, everlasting life is found in Christ. Now, a spiritual conversation begins by connecting with people, and it continues by making a remarkable spiritual statement, as Jesus did, but it also convicts when it reveals something personal. He told her, go call your husband and come back. Did you notice in the video, the woman's face? She turns her head, and she says, I have no husband. And he just speaks out. You are right in saying that because the fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said, just said, is quite true. I find that when I share Christ with people, uh, I get to a point where there's some self-reflection where there's an honest admission on their part, and you know you're getting close to them trusting in Christ because they're seeing something about themselves. And it's true of us. When, when the Lord gets close to us and he's revealing himself to us, we see ourselves as we really are. And it's at that point that we are to, re to repent and to uh, embrace him rather than rebel or resist him. So because she feels convicted, what does she do? She changes the topic. Oh, let's not talk about me. Let's talk about where to worship. She says, sir, I can perceive that you're a prophet. Our ancestors, changing the topic, worshiped on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus, refusing to allow her to distract him, brings it back on task by saying, woman, this 
Uh, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans uh, worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the, in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. So Jesus brings it back because she wants to distract him. You see, back when Manasseh uh, um, made Samaria the capital of the northern kingdom, he established worship there to distract people so that they would worship idols. And they had two golden calves to worship. When Assyria destroyed uh, the northern kingdom in 722 B.C., they took most of the Jews out to Assyria, where they intermarried, and the poor Jews who remained in the northern kingdom had all these foreigners brought in, and they intermarried with them, and that's how they became half-breeds. And they also embraced those false religions. So they had Mount Gerizim as the place that they would worship, because in the Old Testament, Mount Gerizim was where the blessings were pronounced. And unfortunately, it was a syncretistic faith. That is, it had some Judaism in there and a lot of paganism combined. So here she's asking, should we worship at Mount Gerizim or should we worship uh, there at the, at the temple in Jerusalem? And rather than get sidetracked by that, Jesus says, you must worship in spirit, in the spirit and in truth. That is, you must trust in me, have the spirit come into your life and worship God for who he's revealed himself to be in the Bible. We are to worship him in spirit and in truth. Finally, a spiritual conversation connects with people, makes a remarkable spiritual statement, reveals something personal. You can expect the topic to be changed, but it climaxes when the real Jesus is seen. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, the Greek is the equivalent of the Hebrew, Messiah and Christ mean anointed one. I know when the anointed one is coming, when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. And it's an emphatic pronoun indicating deity. So Jesus clearly reveals himself to the Samaritan woman, I am the Messiah. And that's where we'd love to direct people in our conversations with them. We want to talk to them about the Lord. We want to help them um, see their thirsts. It says in the Bible that eternity is in our hearts. That is, everybody has a search for immortality. That is, we want to live forever. We want to be people of eternal significance. We wonder why we're here on this planet. <clears throat> we wonder the reason for our lives. <clears throat> and the answer is that we're to trust in Christ. That our hearts <clears throat> are restless until they find their peace in Christ. Christ 
is the answer, as Louis Ricky used to say. <clears throat> Christ is the answer. So as we come to this <clears throat> conversation about spiritual things, we're, we learn three important things. Number one, that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the source of eternal life, and that that eternal life is pictured as living water, and that living water is the Holy Spirit in our lives. If you've never trusted in Christ, if you're dry as a bone, and you need to awaken to your thirst and realize there's only one fount of living water who can satisfy your thirst for eternal life, and that is Jesus. And for those of us who have trusted in the Lord, we're to follow the second part of the example of the woman at the well. What did she do after Jesus revealed himself as Messiah to her? She went back and told all the people at her city. And we are to share the good news of forgiveness of sin through faith in Christ with others. When Jesus said, look at the harvest, it is ripe, it was at that very moment that the Samaritans who were wearing white were walking through the harvest fields toward them Jesus and the disciples, because they had heard from this woman. Do you get the double meaning there? He says, look at the, at the fields, for they're white. He wasn't talking about harvesting wheat. He was talking about harvesting souls, uh, leading people to Christ. You know, many have labored before us. In this, in this point, he says, the prophets and the martyrs laid down their lives to tell the truth. And we're standing on their shoulders and we're telling people the good news of the gospel and people are coming to Christ. But the hard work has been done. All we need to do is the reaping. Tell people about the Lord. And the final thing that we learn from this is that John is consistent in laying down one story after another about belief. You have, the, you have Nicodemus who hears about it and eventually he believes. You have the woman at the well and she believes. Right after this story, you have the Roman commander who comes to Jesus and says, my son is dying. And Jesus says, go, he's made well. And as he's making his way back home, a servant comes and meets him halfway and says, what's the report about my son? And the servant says, he's getting better. He'll live. What time did you see the turnaround? About one o'clock yesterday. And the commander realizes that's exactly the time when Jesus said, your son will be well. And he believed. So you see how John is stacking the deck he is laying out evidence that demands a verdict, proof after proof that says you can believe in and trust in Jesus. Let's bow and do that right now. If you've never trusted in Christ, or you don't know if you've trusted in Christ as your Savior, Lord, this is the time to tie it down, to put in a spiritual stake. Say, Lord, 
I believe you have living water. And I recognize my thirst, the thirst of my soul. I need forgiveness. I need fullness. I need eternal life. And I turn to you, Jesus, and I receive this living water that you have to give. I trust in you as my Savior, as my Messiah, as my Lord. Thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for rising from the dead that I could be forgiven and have new life through faith in you. And Lord, all of us who have trusted you and have walked with you, thank you for reminding us that the Holy Spirit is ever within us, that he is ready and waiting for us to ask to be refreshed. He's waiting for us to fill our lives in the areas where we most need him. Forgive us for relying on our own cups and our own wells that are stagnant rather than relying upon you, the fount of living water. Lord, Fill our cup, we lift it up. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you need encouragement? I want to share my spiritual gift of encouragement with you. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. Call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530 530- 8920521 to find out how you can connect with our weekly worship services and faith-building messages from God's word.